All right, there's a famous line. You're going to hear it a lot, especially come in the fall. We're going to make America. Oh, you know it, but I said it with more enthusiasm. We're going to make America. Great. Okay, what makes a country great? I don't know, but righteousness exalts a nation, right? That's a good thing. I don't know if that's in any political campaign. But what makes a person great? What makes a person great? <laughs> Rhetorical questions, huh? That you chew on. All right, let's, look, let's go into the text. Rome, or Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to talk about greatness. Uh, not in the eyes of men, but greatness in the eyes of God. And we're going to look at the, the life of a great man who actually I named one of my sons after. Uh, Luke 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they were both, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without or outside at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, or Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen. First, we have a picture as we look at that passage. Keep your thumb in there, uh, Luke 1. But we have a, a picture of, of a godly home. And a few things are a more powerful testimony for the Lord uh, in this time, as this was written, and today, than a godly home. Praise the Lord. We have these people, and they were pronounced righteous or blameless. And this isn't going against that doctrine that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Of course that they had had sin in their life. But according to the grace that was available to them. And this time, remember this is before the Holy Spirit had been poured out in the day of Pentecost. Before Jesus had died on the cross. They were blameless. They were walking upright before the Lord. So think of it. Whatever their life may have been at that time, we couldn't compare it to a Christian today because it was as if they were in kindergarten 
Three times that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the church, pre-blood of Jesus Christ, the difference between kindergarten and senior in high school. Now, to get an A in kindergarten, maybe I know that to spell cat is C-A-T, right? So as, as more light and as more grace and as more power is given, the standard is higher. But for the standards of their time and their place, they were blameless before God. They were walking righteous. They were walking in the light that they had. And these two simple saints lived as all godly married believers do, yoked together in a sweet exercise of godliness and helping each other to high and noble, noble things. And, and this was a time where the corruption, the corruption of the Roman world was starting to infiltrate. You had Herod and all of his immorality. You had the compromise of the Sadducees and using religion for a place of power. But in all of this compromise, you have this beautiful couple, this beautiful couple in a time of religious declension. These few were still clinging to quiet, beautiful lives like springs of fresh water in the midst of a salty ocean. This beautiful couple in a time of compromise and apostasy. Consider that. This blameless pair, this righteous pair, these choice servants of God had a heartache. They had a heartache. Now we know this in our heads, but is it sometimes the worst people that have the worst problems? Now, sometimes, sometimes some of the choice servants of God sometimes have some of the biggest heartaches to deal with. These choice servants of God that, that, that remember, they're, they're called righteous or blameless in the Bible. This beautiful couple, they had a heartache. What was that heartache that they had? C- couldn't have a child. Couldn't have a child. Now, I have never experienced that sensation before or that feeling. Um, actually, we got one on the way coming in July, another one. So, I mean, oh, th- thank you. Um, I can't relate, but I want to tell you what, my, my little brother and actually some other, some friends of ours, um, they've talked about that month after month. Oh man, maybe this is the month. No, maybe this is the month. And it's some heartache. These two godly people, these two godly people, they had that heartache. They hadn't had the child. And no doubt, many a prayer had gone up to their Lord that they loved and were committed to. God, give us a child. Give us a child. But for God's reason, he hadn't yet answered that prayer. But their disappointed hope had not made them sour and frustrated and bitter. No, they didn't murmur. They continued to serve the Lord. And we can learn uh, from this beautiful couple that, that our unfulfilled wishes should never clog our devotion to God. Never clog our devotion to God. So we're carried away from the home. And now we have the, the scene where Zacharias is, is in the temple. And, and you know from your studies that 
that the, the priests, they had seasons of service and they had seasons at home and it was his time to do his priestly duties. And we note that the burning of incense was regarded as an Zacharias with, with his censer in his hand. He went to the altar, which stood in front of the veil, flanked on the right hand by the table of showbread, and on the left by the great lampstand. And this place, his occupation, and, and he's in there and he's offering this, and it's a, you know, we don't do these kinds of things today in church. Uh, these, these ritualistic things that were part, but you can imagine just the senses of it all, of being in there and, and, and the smells and the presence of God and all that. And, and he's doing his work, and, and remember, he's not doing it from a formalistic sense like no doubt some of the priests are. This was a, a righteous man who had his heart in what he's doing, so he's, he's doing all this stuff. And then the angel appears, Right? The angel appears. Interesting to me. It says he, he appears. Now, he might have been there already, and Zacharias' eyes were just opened to him. Because we know from other scriptures, right, and other passages, that, that many times people's eyes are opened to see that, hey, those that are for us are much greater than those that are against us. But his, his eyes were opened and he sees the angel, right? The angel of the Lord. And what's the angel's first words to Zacharias? Look in your Bibles. Do not be afraid. Yes. I did a study when I was in my 20s. And I know different people come up with different numbers. But I came up with 1,502 times that the Bible, in one way or another, in different forms, says, do not be afraid. 1,502 times, more than he tells us to love him. 1,502 times, do not be afraid. If we fear God and if we're right before him, we never have anything to fear. We never have anything to fear. He says, fear not, thy, thy prayer has been heard. Now, was he probably praying right then and there for a child as he's doing his duty, you know, throwing off the incense? I, don't, I doubt it. Okay, I, it's probably too personal in here, but anybody who's in there that suffered with childlessness, did you probably stop praying for that child after about 40, 50, 60? I mean, I would think it would be unusual to keep praying for a baby once you got past a certain age. Maybe, maybe kind of. How long ago maybe had, I'm, I'm speculating here, but how long had it been maybe since he last prayed a prayer to have a baby? His wife, how long it had it been before she had last prayed that prayer to have a baby? It's interesting to me here is that, do you think that after you pray that prayer that it ceases to have effect before the throne of God? Could it be sometimes that we are enjoying blessings right now by prayers made long from people who've gone on to be with the Lord? Absolutely. Wow. Here right now one. Praise God. Wow. That's pretty awesome. My kids, my grandkids. 
and answer to prayer. So don't think that, that, that when you pray a prayer for somebody, and if you haven't seen, remember Pastor Ben preaching on, on Hebrews 11, that some even died in faith, not having received the promise. Don't think that that prayer, just because it hasn't been realized, that it hasn't touched God's heart. So the angel says the, that your prayer has been heard. I, again, we're speculating, but he may have stopped praying for that child, but yet that prayer probably made years ago, maybe 20, maybe 40 years ago, that prayer was heard, and it was God's timing. And what does he say? What does he say? You're going to have a baby. <laughs> You're going to have a baby. It's a brief announcement about the child's birth, his, uh, his name, his character, and work in general are, are spoken of, and then sp- specific details are given. His name is to be John, which means the Lord is gracious, also can mean gracious gift from God. It was, uh, in a sense, a, a, a condensed prophecy, even in that name, of what God was going to do in this man's life. He said that many, many shall rejoice at his birth. His, his life will bring joy. And, and why would his life bring such great joy? Because what is, what is fullness of joy? According to the Bible, in thy presence is fullness of joy. And, 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 and union with God, reconciliation to God, brings fullness of joy in what was to be the role of John the Baptist, to prepare the way for the Lord, to bring people to repentance, to prepare for the coming Messiah. The angel said that he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Luke 15, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Great in the sight of the Lord. Time Magazine, uh, they've for years done a, uh, used to be called Man of the Year, now it's Person of the Year. Anybody know who it is this year? The Yeah, the little... Climate change gal, Greta Greta Thunberg. Yeah, she's the person of the year. So, so in Time Magazine's eyes, she's as great as it gets. As great as it gets. If Time Magazine was in print in Jerusalem at that time, perhaps they would have picked Herod, right? Perhaps they would have picked Pilate or, or Caesar or maybe one of the great uh, Greek philosophers. Maybe they would have uh, picked a, a rabbi. Would they have picked John? I'm going to guess probably not. The elements of greatness in the estimate of God, which is truth, are devotion to his service, burning convictions, intense moral earnestness, a clear recognition of Jesus and a humble selflessness before him. These are not sometimes elements recognized by the world as essential for greatness. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I want to 
quote Alexander McLaren, one of my favorite Bible commentators. He says, it takes a Hercules to stop the chariot racing downhill, and God's Herculeses are made on one pattern insofar that they scorn delights and empty themselves of self and sense that they may be filled with the Spirit. I want to say that again in calling John, and you think of this elements that make a person great inside of God. It takes a, a Hercules to stop a chariot racing downhill, and God's Herculeses are all made on one pattern insofar that they scorn delights and empty themselves of self and sense that they may be filled with the Spirit. We're told that, that he would come in the Spirit of Elijah, of Elijah. When you think of Elijah, what's the, the, the big image in your head or the big story in your head of Elijah? Which one just comes to mind? Taken up by the fire, yeah. That's one you can think of. What, what's another one? What's that? Parting the water, okay. That's, that's, frankly, those are good. That's not the first one that comes to mind for me personally. Come on, help me out, Ben. Running? So, so John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah is going to be a great runner? Man, joggers have big beers these days. I, I personally, I, you know, talks about turning the heart, but was John a reed shaking in, in the wind? You know, I think of Elijah and the standoff with the prophets of Baal. That's the one that, that's the event that crystallizes it for me. And he was not going to come and be a Barnabas. We need Barnabases. I thank God for everyone. His wasn't this, this soft ministry. He was coming with, with that fiery spirit and the spirit of Elijah. And remember, we'll, we'll get into this later, but the prayer that Elijah had before, uh, before the fires came down, he's, he's praying and that you know, God was turning the people's heart back to him. So, so praise God. Uh, turn, to, turn to Malachi uh, 4 and verses 5 and 6. Just turn back a little bit here. Um, this prophecy that was fulfilled in John the Baptist. Behold, I send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth. Praise God. So he's coming to that and, and uh, turning, turning the heart, you know, that turning the heart back to where it needs to be, turning the dis disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And John was sent in this spirit to change hearts and move them back to where they needed to be so the people were ready to receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He was sent to prepare the way. He was sent to plow the field. Anybody do any, any farming here or farming in your childhood? Man, we bought a farm when we were down in Oregon, and it, it was a, uh, uh, a repo, and it, it had sat vacant for several years before we got it. And it had scotch broom and just blackberry bushes. I mean, you could get lost out there. I mean, it was over my head. 
And you don't just go throw seeds on that and expect a good, a good deal. Man, we got out there with the brush hog. Uh, we had plow. I mean, we, there, was a, there was work to do to prepare the land to receive the seed, to get its crop. And, and John was like the guy out there with the brush hog with the plow, and he's grinding down. And, and you can look and see the message of repentance that he preached. And I, and I believe that, that those that repented at John's message were much more able to receive Jesus Christ because he was, he was preparing the way. And true greatness in the sight of God True greatness, an aspect of that true greatness is one who, by their life and word and deed, prepares other people to say yes to Jesus Christ. Plows. John was prophesied to be a great man. And we remember that Jesus Christ, looking back at John, what did he have to say about him? He said, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. He got to this place of greatness that was prophesied of him. So here, here's some characteristics of John that I believe played into that greatness in the sight of the Lord. This, this first characteristic that I get is just this unwavering, unmovable courage. Unwavering, immovable courage. Again, Jesus said, what did you expect? This reed shaking in the wind and and, and the average person, and it's easy for us, even as Christians, to be kind of swayed by the way the wind's blowing. And if we're a situation, if there's a situation where one thing's happening, oh, we'll kind of just sway with that. We'll just kind of adjust ourselves to fit the situation. Or if the wind's blowing this way, oh, we'll kind of sway over here. But John wasn't like that. He wasn't primarily concerned about what everybody thought around him. Whether he'd make a good impression, he lived before God. He lived before God to honor God. A man who lives before God will cut through people and circumstances like a hot knife through butter. A man who lives before God. You kind of see some of this in, in Moses when he came down. Ten commandments in hand, right? And the people were doing wrong. And Moses had been living before God, and he was able to straighten that thing out immediately. There's a strength and a power with someone who is living before God and almost insensitive to the opinions of others. An unwavering, immovable courage. You know, God gives us different personalities, and it's, it's good to be sensitive to others. It's good to care about others and, and care whether we hurt people's feelings. But if you want to be great in the sight of God, I tell you, we need, to, we need to fear God and live before him and kind of let the opinions of others rise and fall as they will. That was John. I see in John a, a life of, of self-denial in his food, in his dress, in his aims. You see a man who is not overly concerned with the comforts of the flesh, right? Now, is it okay to have comforts of the flesh? Is it okay to have some, some danger? We were just talking about this before church, about how we can get kind of soft. It's okay to have comforts. It's okay to have some abundance. 
but living for perishable joys. Living for perishable joys, it kind of goes against that spirit of John the Baptist. It goes against being that person who's in a position to be great for God. A person who lives for perishable joys is, is, is too often swayed by things that tickle the five senses. Voltaire, um, actually a lousy person, but he was a man, uh, a philosopher in France at the time of the French Revolution, which was a, a disaster. Um, but he, he, was a, he was a famous atheist, and uh, no offense to the French Catholic Church, but a lot of the ways they operated, you know, would lend itself to atheism. This is what he said. This is what he said about religious people. He said, when it, when it is a question of money, everybody's of the same religion. Hey, we all have a price, buddy. Yeah, I mean, come on, show me the money. Right. I'll tell you what, you know who wasn't for sale? It was John. You couldn't put a price on John. John wouldn't be swayed like the Sadducees, you know, using that temple position and being a little bit politician, a little bit religious leader and, and preserving our place, you know. No, John, he lived before God. He wasn't afraid to suffer hardship. Praise God. Another element of, uh, of true greatness uh, taught to us by John is his... Uh, his fiery enthusiasm for righteousness. Fiery enthusiasm for righteousness. Man, he had this, this zeal uh, for purity and holiness. And he preached, and he would, he would come after people. And you know, when we're led by the Spirit, right, God, God's going to have different roles, different roles for different people. And not everybody, there's a lot more people that think they're a prophet and to straighten everybody out, amen, Pastor Ben? The, the people that actually are, but, the, but, the, but empowering and, and, and behind everybody that's trying to serve the Lord, that's going to be great inside of God, that, that enthusiasm for righteousness, that enthusiasm that things would be the way that God want them to be, that God would be honored among his people. And John glowed with that. You see that in the, in the way, in the, in the fiery messages he gave. You see that in his, his willingness to even call out Herod, the leader of the day that had the power to put him to death and ultimately did that. Lukewarmness. Lukewarmness never touches anybody. Never touches anybody. You know, even, even if we have all our theology right, right? We got it all down. We got all the answers. But our, but, our, but our life is just kind of lukewarm. It doesn't tend to affect those around us very much. But somebody who is, was fiery and hot for the Lord Jesus Christ tends to have an impact. And John was no exception. Just the last element of John's life. Remember, we're looking at, at, at greatness. Greatness before God. Observe the humility, uh, the humility of John. Remember, he, he, says, he says these famous words. In fact, there's been songs written with these words. You know, he must increase, I must decrease. He says that, you know, I'm not worthy to, shot, to, to tie his shoelaces. 
a very humble man. And it's so easy. It's so easy as humans, right? It's so easy as humans to become proud when things start to go well for us. Man, it's so easy. I was in this uh, singing group. Yeah, Justin, you were in a singing group. I was in a singing group when I was a young man. And we weren't even that good. <laughs> we went around and sang. Um, my first summer after college, we, in fact, I met my wife while we were in this singing group. But just that, we, we sang to, at, at churches and camp meetings and youth camps and stuff, and just these little bits of pats on the back, and people, oh, you guys should go pro, you guys should cut a CD. And I came back to school the next year, and my head was so big, I couldn't even get through the doorway. Because I actually believed what people were just saying to be nice, you know. It wasn't really true. And man, God had to humble me bad. <laughs> and he did. Because he loved me. And God doesn't, tends to do that. He tends to discipline those he loves. But John, John didn't need to be humbled. He, he, he had humbled himself. He humbled himself. And, and this beautiful attitude was maintained where, where God could use him and God could use him to turn hearts and God could use him to, to preach these, these fiery sermons and, and people would come out, man, because John was different than the boring teachers that they saw in the synagogues because there was something behind it. There was a power. There's a, there's a passion. But it didn't go to John's head. He recognized, man, I'm, I'm just a nothing. He must increase. I've got to get lower than I am. People ask, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? No, no. Thomas Akempis says somewhere, he is truly great who is small in his own sight and thinks nothing of the giddy heights of worldly honor. You and I know far more of Jesus Christ than John the Baptist did. Do we bow ourselves before him as he did? Greatness, greatness, in the sight of God. Praise God. Let us, let our closeness to Jesus Christ and our experience of his power kindle in us the enthusiasm which he baptizes all his true servants and let it become, and let it become the sweetness and the power to prepare the way for the Lord. The Bible says he came in the Spirit of Elijah, many will he turn to the Lord, their God. I love that song, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord, Luke 3.3. 3. Um, greatness in the sight of God. Greatness in the sight of God. You see in John a, a courage, a courage to live before God and just take the licks as they come. Whether I get praise or whether I get beat up, uh, whether they put a crown on my head or I lose my head, there's got to be a courage there. You've got to have a life of self-denial. Oh, man, it, it, is, it is really hard. Uh, and, and I don't know if anybody in this room is really rich, but the more comfortable we get uh, financially, it, it just kind of tends to take some of the edge off of us. It kind of take, it takes some of, you know, when, when we get too driven to comfort and enjoying too many dainties of life, it just sometimes takes the edge off us. 
A life of self-denial has always been characteristic of those that God could use. You see in John and you see in other great men and women of God an enthusiasm for righteousness. Jesus ourself said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? They'll be filled. And you see a humility. A humility before the Lord. He must increase. I must decrease. You know, sometimes I, I've... I've uh, you know, I've wondered sometimes why God kind of gives one person a very prominent position and one person a very small position. And, and, and sometimes I think it's because God knows, man, if I, if I use that person too much, all the praise, and it would probably destroy him. It'd probably, it would probably be strong. That's probably true of money sometimes too. There, there's, there's 10 Christians who can handle being middle class or poor for probably everyone who could handle being rich and not it ruin him. That's probably true. Probably true of me. Humility. Humility. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Praise the Lord. A great man, a great woman, is a person that lives like this, and a person who still today turns hearts to the Lord God. Almighty. When I was uh, 25 years old, uh, I was uh, put in charge of a, of a youth camp, um, and this is up in the mountains of, uh, of Oregon, beautiful place. In fact, the greatest place for a youth camp, because it was so far out, there was no cell, cell phone service. And it's amazing how kids can start hearing the voice of God as, as, as the, uh, the days go on, when you get kind of disconnected from all the other stuff. Anyways, I'm running this youth camp. I'm 25. Jared had just been born, you know. Um, and I'm thinking, man, how are we going to get these kids to get more serious about God? How are we going to help these kids? And I had this evangelist that I didn't even know on another person's recommendation uh, we brought him in uh, to share with the kids. And I got to say, I'd never met anybody like this guy. Now, his name was Keith, uh, Keith Trapp. And if you looked at him, he looked like just a normal, boring guy. Uh, but I saw um, something in Keith that uh, really touched me. And here I am, I'm the director of this camp, right? I'm responsible for everything. I'm the one that got the insurance things. And I'm the one that got counselors and other youth pastors and all this. And I'm doing all this to help all the other kids. And here God wanted to do something in my life, right? So I meet this guy, Keith. And Keith, um, he lived a radical life, right? Now, God doesn't call everybody to the same this and that. But there's a radicalness with anybody who's seeking to live before God and follow him. It's going to sometimes break the mold. And there's going to be things in their life that other people aren't going to always understand. And other Christians aren't going to understand. I saw in him just this a radical life and, and commitment to the Lord. I saw a courage. I saw a a, a self-denial. A self 
I saw godliness in him. And uh, in fact, on one instance, a, a kid got hurt. And, you know, me, I'm really actually not the worry wart uh, type by nature, but some of the other counselors, you got to call the paramedics now. And um, this kid, they'd been running down this hill. You know how kids are. You do. I Actually, I do too. But a kid was on another kid's shoulder. They were running down a hill, and one of the kids fell down. The kid fell down. He was holding the kid on his shoulders. And the kid, the, the kid on, that was on the back, his legs went numb for a little while. And we were all freaked out. And we went, and, and I called 911. And we're way out in the sticks. And Keith was mad. He was mad. He said, why didn't we pray first? Why didn't we pray first before calling? You know, not that it's wrong, but he, he had this passion for God's glory. He wanted God to be honored. He didn't want it to just be talk. And anyways, being around this guy, um, I remember realizing, man, I don't know God like this man does. I don't know him. I don't know him. I could talk a good talk, but this man has something that, that um, I want. And it led me. Here's this camp going on all this. And I, every spare second, I'm praying. And I actually even fasted for, for half the camp because I was so burdened that I don't have what this man has. I've got maybe a little... God ends up dealing with me at the camp. I end up going into the woods by myself and praying. And I had a, um, a very powerful encounter with the Lord that really changed my life. And uh, I'm a different person today. I met, I met a man that really lived before God, and there had been others in my life. But this man, in, in God's time, he was in close proximity. He lived before God. He was courageous. He was kind of my personal John the Baptist. And he prepared the way for me. I was, I was already a Christian. Um, but to go to the next level with God. And uh, I praise God for that. And God it wants us, us, as his people, to come in the spirit of John the Baptist. Now, now being John the Baptist, if John the Baptist was here today, you know, his dress wouldn't stand out. He just, you just think he was a regular Olympia hipster, right? I mean, hey, hey, camel hair, oh, that's awesome. Locust, dude, that's cool. It's not about getting pegs or tattoos or trying to look counterculture. You can't even look counterculture anymore because everything's out there. It's not about being weird for weird's sake. It's not about screaming about people, but it's about living before God putting him first and humbling ourselves before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I believe a life like that, whether you're a big talker like me and preacher type or whether you're a more quiet person, your life will, will put pressure on others to draw closer to God or run far from you, just as they did John. Greatness in the sight of God. Um, that's my aim uh, praise God. Uh, I want to pray for us uh, that God would, would grow that spirit in us. God, thank you uh, for today. Lord, I've, I've said a lot of words, but I, God, I pray that um, just through this effort and, and, and through your word, God, uh, that you would grow us, grow us towards being like John the Baptist. 
walking in the spirit of Elijah, God, turning hearts, turning hearts, Lord, towards you, God. Help us, Lord. And God, we thank you uh, for people in our lives uh, who lived before you and who made an impact and whose life inspired us to want to follow you, God. We give you praise. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.